What's cracking, everybody? Happy, uh, what is it, Tuesday? Tuesday, December 21st, 2021, here in Park Ridge, Illinois, with my boy, Max Torres. I'm your guest, James Salerno of Portfolio Kings. How we doing, everybody? How's it going, Max? It's, it's great. You know, also, James forgot to include it at 6.43 p.m. 6.43 p.m. Recording this in my basement. He forgot that, but also it was a pretty good intro. It was a pretty good intro to the podcast. So appreciate it. Welcome aboard, James. You know, James, the founder of Portfolio Kings, my my dear friend, known James for about I don't know since I was in like elementary school, right? Yeah. And uh, third, former third line pair with Nick Prusa, main JV two back in the day. Good times, man. Good times. But James is out here killing it with his uh, Portfolio Kings, doing a bunch of options trades. James, tell us about some of your options trades. How how's, how have your returns been this past year, twenty twenty? My returns in 2021, most like everything else this year, have been pretty unworldly. I'm currently approaching 50% on my Tastyworks account. I've been trading for about six months on Tastyworks. So by and large, that is a very nice return. About eight, yeah, that works out to about 8% a month. You know, the market returns that in a year on average. So I'm very satisfied with my returns. Of course, you know, granted the S&P 500's gone up 25% this past year, you know, not complaining whatsoever, been making good money. And yeah, I mean, not much else to say, just been, you know, my main strategies that I trade, I do short straddles, short strangles, uh, short calls, short puts on occasion, all scalp futures. Just yesterday, I made a nice trade while I was sitting in Subway eating a sandwich, bought some SPY futures, <laughs> caught the low, got out for a nice $3,375 no, yeah, $3, gain. I was really happy with that, but I was kicking myself today because they were 100 points higher than what I bought yesterday. So can't win them all, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and nobody ever went broke taking profits, so... That's what I got to say on my options. Yeah, but, well, James can blame that one on me because, you know, he was texting me right during it. And I'm going, you retard, you retard, you got to sell, get out of that shit. And, you know, he, I mean, I, I'm not trading for James. So James obviously didn't sell because of me. But, you know, if I wasn't, you know, throwing on his back like, oh, dude, I'm so bearish right now. He, he probably would have held on. So uh, he couldn't get mad at me for that one. But we'll get him next time. I mean, as James says, you, know, you can never, just got to move on. Hindsight is 2020. Yeah, I'm, I mean, for December, I've made so far 5500 bucks. You know, that's a nice income right there. And I'm starting to close out most of my positions. I'm sitting on probably about uh, like 80% cash, 85% cash in my portfolio. I have a couple small positions on right now, a couple strangles. I have a straddle uh, for CarMax earnings tomorrow. Um, found this new strategy that I've been testing out. It yielded pretty well last time. I did a straddle and chewy right before earnings volatility was super high at the money straddle and it returned a nice 50 percent return on capital overnight so it was a nice you know overnight swing trade i guess you can call that a day trade but um yeah i've just been doing a lot of volatility trading and i know there's a lot of people that um don't really care for volatility trading and i remember i was watching a martin shkreli finance lesson the other day and he was saying, um, you know, there are these traders that will just stick to short volatility for long periods of time. And, um, you know, it, it works until it doesn't. Right. And um, when it doesn't work, you know, I have a prime example of this. I was talking with my buddy at the beginning of the year, back when the whole GameStop fiasco was going <laughs> on, back when, you know, people were making money hand over fist. Uh, this was before GameStop really took off before the short squeeze really hit. He was like, 
All right, I'm uh, I'm going in here, man. I'm shorting two calls at the $60 strike. And I asked him, you know, like, what's your expiration? He's like, nine days. He's like, I'm like, okay, you got nine days to get squeezed. Let's see what happens here. And I had my finger over the buy button on those exact options. He, he, he sold them for 3K in premium, three grand in premium. So for two of them, he got six grand. I had six grand in my brokerage, a little over six grand. Yeah, I wasn't trading too much at the beginning of the year, but I had enough to buy two of those calls. I was like wondering, you know, maybe I'll uh, buy those that he sold to me. I had my finger over the buy button, didn't pull the trigger. Sure enough, a couple of days later, I hit him up. I'm like, you know, what's the damage, man? This is when GameStop was, you know, in the two, three hundreds. He's like, yeah, I closed him out yesterday for $30,000 loss. <laughs> wow. Unfortunate. Unfortunate. So, James, for viewers that don't, and like listeners, I should say, that don't understand, what is like a straddle? How does that, how does that trade work? Because, I mean, I'm not sure if a lot of my people here that listen are familiar with option trading, what a right. straddle is. So just give us yeah. the basic rundown of that. Yeah. Then we'll get into some macro news, what we're seeing in the charts, and then we'll move on from there. But that'd be a good thing that you could teach everyone. Understandable. Yeah, I just got up, got caught up in the jargon there. Not everybody lives in my world. Um, so a straddle is when you sell a call and a put at the same strike price. Okay. So you're basically looking for a complete volatility contraction. You're not, you're, you know, if you're selling a call and a put at the same strike price, usually the deltas will match up pretty closely to zero. And what that means is your, your price sensitivity, your um, profit and loss graph doesn't really move if the price moves. You're, you're trading strictly volatility. Now, what that means is you're trading the fear, the fear multiplier. Volatility right. is fear. And when volatility is high, fear is high, people will charge more for you know option premiums in the same way that someone will charge more some insurance company will charge more in um, car insurance for a riskier driver it's the same thing in options so straddles are a little bit riskier than strangles now strangles are my bread and butter strangles are when you sell a call and a put at different strike prices that are out of the money so let's say you have a 50 dollars stock with a 50 percent implied volatility i would go out and sell uh, just as a simple uh, simple example, sell a $60 call, so that's out of the money by 10 points. Sell a $40 put, it's out of the money by 10 points. Let's say I received $5 in premium for that. So if by selling the $60 call and the $40 put, getting $5 in premium for that, my break-evens are extended to, and break-evens are the point at which I'm making no profit or losses. The break-even on the upside would be at 65, and the break-even on the downside would be at 35. So you're basically trading a range of the stock and you're getting positive theta, which means you're making money every day as that option decays because options have time, time value built into them. So as long as that stock stays within that 60 and $40 range, and if I hold it till expiration, I keep that full $5 in credit. What I look for is to close them at about 50% of that max credit. So I would look for $2.50 on that trade. $250. It's a tasty trade, my guy. That's wow, James. Like you simplified that uh, for anyone who didn't understand that. So basically for a strangle, if I have this understanding correct. So if the, I see a stock or some kind of commodity, let's take USO, net gas futures a couple months ago, super high implied volatility. Would you want to be selling uh, strangles? Not strangles, sorry. Uh, Straddles or strangles? Straddles or strangles. So that's interesting here, Max. Thank you for bringing that point up. So I was actually in the natural gas trade through, I was selling puts in August. So I was bullish on it. Selling puts is a 
neutral to bullish strategy. You're making money as long as it stays above your strike price that you're selling at. So I was making good money selling those puts, but I also decided to sell some calls because, you know, natural gas was going up a lot. Um, implied volatility was expanding, you know, it was, it was the highest it was in like eight years or something like that, you know. Maybe longer. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And and natural gas has a tendency to have these. I remember watch, uh, reading a Zero Hedge article about natural gas and they have these things called rogue waves and implied volatility. So implied volatility from time to time will just skyrocket massively. And so I was adding these short calls along with my short puts and um, implied volatility was really high and it just kept going higher and higher and higher. And I kept adjusting my position, rolling it out. And um, at one point I was down 50% on my entire portfolio. <laughs> at the time I had $35,000 put in my portfolio. I was down $17,500. I had a margin call for $10,000, had to close out of my V-chain position to deposit that collateral to post margin. And um, I actually had ended up turning the strangle into a straddle. So I was rolling my calls and puts to the same strike. So when you roll a call or a put, you're collecting more premium, but you're reducing the range at which you're profitable. So I kept selling um, calls and puts and increasing the strike closer to where the money was at as volatility was increasing. So I was in this trade for quite some time. And... Um, I remember natural gas hit like six and a half dollars and, you know, I was getting really nervous because, you know, if it didn't do anything, if it kept, if volatility kept going up, I was going to get, you know, I was going to lose everything, but I channeled my inner Tom Sosnoff, called him up a couple times wow. on the tasty podcast. <laughs> and, um, I held the line and I managed to turn that seventeen and a half thousand dollar loser into a seventeen and a half thousand dollar winner just by being patient, holding the line, and just trading the volatility. And sure enough, volatility being mean reverting, which means it comes down to an average, I was able to come out of the trade alive with some pretty decent profits. So. Just paying attention to the volatility, right? Not even macro macro thesis, your own personal biases a little out of the picture, just looking at the numbers pretty much. There was a bit of a macro thesis to it because I was reading uh, going into September that there was, a, there was supposed to be a supply shortage. And the idea was that um, there wasn't going to be enough natural gas to heat every every house in North America, especially in Europe, too. Europe had a massive gas crisis and their markets got even more screwed up. So I thought and a lot of other people thought that it was going to be a very cold winter. And then when the um, reports came out into October, November that, you know, it's not going to be as cold as they thought, you know, volatility subsided. And sure enough, um, natural gas went down from, you know, the high of six and a half down to we're at 3.86 so it's a great trade pretty gnarly moves nonetheless right james i know there's a lot of jargon cut in there if you guys have any questions about that be sure to hit me up portfolio kings www.theportfoliokings.com in the discord chat that we have my name is bull or if you want to hit me up um you know my name is james salerno most of you guys probably know me if you don't know me ask mr torres over here and he'll send you the right way yeah, James, uh, his uh, portfolio of Kings is truly, uh, truly amazing. I mean, if you they got crypto options trades and just, you know, if you want to talk stocks and stuff, they got a great chat room. And I mean, they have offered some uh, pretty insane trades over the past couple. I mean, you've been around for a year and a half, right? Longer than that? Yeah. So we started everything right after the beginning of the pandemic. 
Ivan Fadiv came up to me and was like, yo, let's start something. You know, he was uh, busy doing his soul paradise shoe business, buying and selling sneakers. And when the COVID crash hit, nobody was, you know, wanting anything. And, you know, markets took a dump and everybody was at home. So he was like, you know, I got some money, you know, let's start something. And, you know, sure enough, we came up with Portfolio Kings. I designed the logo. I'm very proud of it. It's a very awesome logo. Um, He came up with the name. And sure enough, um, with the help of uh, Thomas Athey and Samuel Brodsky, we grew Portfolio Kings into what it is today. We've been taking a bit of a step back from it recently, starting to do a bit of our own thing. Um, I'm looking to do uh, something else in the near future. Um, But nonetheless, we're still trading. We're still talking and things are going really well. Yeah, I mean, James, you know, living the true American dream, you can say. Yes, sir. Bootstrapping it through. There we go. So let's get into, you know, my favorite, my my favorite, uh, you know, part of the market, which is the bond market. And so, you know, I'm just going to go through what I've been seeing over the past couple of days and, you know, talk about why I'm a little concerned over the market. But we got James here who is, you know, balls to the wall, big bull. You got me, you know, just going back into my cave, trying to hibernate for the winter. No Santa <laughs> rally. I'm a bear. But, you know, I get a little cautious here. Because, I mean, I see that the past couple days here, I mean, I got the reverse repo pulled up. We've reverse repoed $1.74 trillion, which is, you know, the second highest reverse repo on average with 77 counterparties. So the counterparties are, you know, the banks, the GSIBs, the money market funds that are giving all this excess cash that they've received through quantitative easing. And they're saying, you know what, this is too much cash. We, we don't want to lend it to anyone. And it's, and it's a huge problem is, you know, the interbank lending rate is 15 basis points. The LIBOR rate? Uh, the LIBOR rate, but like the overnight, like uh, oh, yeah, okay, bank to yeah. bank. You know, they raised this from zero, from five basis points, which was the same as reverse repo, to 15 to encourage lending amongst the banks. Mm-hmm. But the banks still refuse to lend to each other. And, you know, because it counter. I think it's counterparty risk. I'm, I'm just speculating, you know, I don't work at a bank or anything. So they refuse to lend to each other and they refuse to put the money. They want to put the money in the short term collateral, which is, you know, your one a month treasury bills. But because they're so close to zero, the Fed says, you know what, we'll pay you five basis points. If you come to us, give us your excess reserves instead of shoving it into the front end, driving yields lower, adding stress on money markets. Because, if you know, we had negative rates in money markets, then that could cause you know some serious financial strain. You know, all your cash sitting in your uh, Schwab account is in a money market fund. So, you know, right now we're losing about 5% on our cash just because of real interest rates. But if you have money in the bank, you're straight up just losing money automatically, but just having it sit there. So, like, that would just cause a massive problem because people would probably go, screw that. I'm just going to withdraw my cash. Mm-hmm. But if there's all these, you know, people pretty much around the bank, yeah. you know, that is the most deflationary, deflationary thing you can have. And everyone's talking about inflation. And so I guess James could, you know, help straighten me out a little bit here. But, you know, uh, you're hitting it on the head right here. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I've been taking out some cash myself um, for some, uh, you know, peace of mind and um, some Christmas cash. You know the deal. But I can't speak on bonds too much because I haven't done too much research into them. But what I do know is that what we are seeing is unlike anything we've seen in the past. You have the Fed printing trillions of dollars of money through one door, the treasury buying it through the other door. And it's creating this whole this whole cascade of events that are just inexplainable. And it's creating 
this massive bubble in equities, massive bubble in real estate prices, massive bubble in cryptocurrencies, everywhere across the board. Everything has gone up at least 20% over the past year. Except paper, gold, and silver. Yeah, and that's what's <laughs> that's what's really, you know, I mean, it's not confusing to me because you know the you know the game from the banks ends. Um, they just keep slamming paper silver and paper gold onto the markets to keep it suppressed. While at the same time buying physical gold and silver and that's where you want to be the value in gold and silver comes with owning the physical asset if you look at premiums on eagles they are twelve dollars <laughs> over spot thirteen dollars over spot i was um buying some hundred ounce silver bars recently and i was getting them for six dollars an ounce over spot um twenty six hundred dollars for a hundred ounce bar it's a good deal and um you know if you don't want to uh, keep your cash in a savings account or a money market account, and um, you don't want to, you know, put it into too much risk, you know, and you have a decent amount of cash, you know, buy a couple of these hundred ounce bars, you know, that's a great way to store store your wealth in, in silver. And not just for, you know, the, the store of value feature, there's an industrial use for silver, industrial use for gold. And, um, you know, it's 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 been our money for thousands of years, and it'll continue to be our money for thousands of years. But the difference now is all that cash that would typically go into gold and silver, we see it going into the crypto markets. And, you know, you can't beat these returns. I mean, people are making 10,000, 20,000 percent returns. I mean, you got that guy that bought, you know, 16 uh, percent of Shiba Inu's total supply back in August of 2020 for eight thousand dollars. And, you know, a couple months ago, it was worth five point seven billion dollars. Now, if you're a student in finance or you work at an investment bank, you are frozen in time at this moment. For someone to take $8,000 and make it up to $5.7 billion for the entire market to move that much and to have Shiba Inu's market cap be worth more than Robinhood, you know, you got to ask yourself, you know, on, on the one hand, you know, you can't just sell that $5.7 billion. I mean, you'll crash the entire market. There's not enough orders there's not enough bid orders to you know meet that supply and you know simple supply and demand you know the price will continue to drop but if that was me i'd move my entire shiba inu to you know binance or a bunch of other exchanges and just 100k buy 100k sell orders just filling those bids just cashing out as much as i could just you know every time i see a, a an uptick i just keep clicking on that bid and you know keep fucking selling all right so James had a lot of points there, and you know I, I want to get into crypto here in a bit. But like going back, like full on reversing to like this whole gold and silver. Right, money. I went off on a tangent. No, there, no, 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 bro. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that that whole Shiba Inu crap. I mean, well, I call it crap, but you know, other you know, one's man, one man's treasure, other man's treasure. Right? right, right. So I mean, you know, teach his own. But what I want to talk about is you know, sil silver and gold are not moving at all. But we see like the Dixie, we see crude, we see all these commodities skyrocketing. We see the bond market had like just stuck. We have, we have no idea where to go. And so, you know, I want to get James to take on where he sees bonds moving higher or lower. Because I mean, where I see, and I also want to get James' take on uh, equities with the Fed. What is the Fed going to do next year? The Fed says they're going to taper their asset purchases. They're going to stop buying bonds and treasury bonds and mortgage bonds by March, and they're going to do three rate hikes next year. Is that possible? Is that like what happens if they do that? Will equity prices come continue to skyrocket? Will we see 5K SPY Q2 2022? 
Well, that's an interesting point, Max. Thanks for bringing that up. So recently, we've been seeing the entire yield curve flattening, right? Right. So that paints the picture that, you know, um, there's, there is some, you know, short-term pressure on, um, on the yields, which means bonds are getting bid up. But ultimately, we're going to see, you know, time and time again, you know, we look back through history, crash of 29, bonds took a massive die, bonds sold off, and, and everything in equities, crypto, real estate is a derivative of the debt market. Now, I don't know when. But for the 10-year yield, we're on a course to 5% interest rates. I don't know when, but within the next five years, I'd say that's, you know, I'd say that's a good, good target. Five years, you know, that puts us on track with when Social Security is set to run out. Right. We're going to have some serious problems. Right now, we're at over $20 trillion, to say $20 trillion in outstanding national debt. So at 5% interest rates in the 10-year, that's $1 trillion dollars that's being paid in interest. That's $1 trillion that's not going to public spending, that's not going to infrastructure, that's not going to the economy. It's just going to interest, which means we're gonna to have to do what we've been doing throughout history, which is creating more money out of thin air and financing everything all over again. And it's just this insane, you know, you need to keep printing exponential amounts of money in order to service old money. And then you feel that in the dollar and, you, you point out the Dixie a lot, and the Dixie has gone up a bit this past year. Oh, it's gone up 6%. Yeah, yeah, I 6%. Mean, if, you look, if you look how much paper gold has gone, uh, paper gold has gone down, it's pretty much in line with the Dixie here. So the Dixie year-to-date, James, 7.5%. Looking at gold here, which this is this is the biggest, you know, crazy. this is the craziest stuff you'll see because gold is supposed to go. Um, you know, we know that we printed so much money, right? And so gold should be going up and the dollar should be collapsing. But what's happening? Gold's down 6%. The dollar's up 7 So pretty much right in line with each other, right? Yeah. So why is this happening? The Dixie, you, what you got to understand about the dollar index is that's in relation to other currencies. Right. So that's just relative to the euro, to the pound, to all the other currencies out there. Real inflation is seen in pricing. And I don't know about you, but I went to the store the other day and I was appalled at what I paid. I bought three quarters of a pound of roast beef, three quarters of a pound of a provolone, pack of Propel, Gatorade, and I spent 35 bucks. Insane. And, and, and a thing of sausage. 35 bucks. It was absolutely, I, I was shocked. I was just like, the lower classes, people that don't own assets, people that are living paycheck to paycheck, they're really feeling this. And I feel really bad for these people out there, man. They don't have any other choice and they're, they're forced to buy these overpriced products. And, and then we also have shrinkflation going on where oh, yeah. the grocery stores, they'll charge the same for the same item, yet that item has less volume. They, they sell less of the same product and charge the same amount. So it's terrible what's going on. And, you know, that's why we have, you know, crypto. That's why we have, you know, stocks. It's You have to become your own central bank, bet against the debt, own anti-debt units. And, you know, you, you got to really break out of that mindset. And, you know, I, I feel for a lot of people that are living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, I hope that there's an answer in the future. We're seeing massive disruptions everywhere in the economy. So. Here's the thing that I want to ask James, and if James can't answer it, like I'll give my own thesis to it. But uh, so, James, what are the two things that go into the price of a bond? Inflation and then credit risk, right? 
So if we know that inflation is it, you know, I think the last reading was six point eight percent, right? Yeah, somewhere around there. So over six, and you know, unbelievable. At the beginning of the year, we're like you know three percent, two percent, and the Fed was aiming to average around two percent. You know, we're way above their target. They completely blew that up. But my question is, is if inflation is so so high, like CPI inflation, because you know. I don't know if like that's really inflation because you know the feds can really twist it. Right. And why aren't we seeing yields completely skyrocket to match that? You know, real rates are you know negative five percent because interest rates are about you know on a ten year right now we're trading it you know one spot four eight and then infl- real inflation six point eight so that puts us at like negative five percent. So why aren't yields matching inflation? The answer to that is because we're exporting dollars worldwide. There's a shortage of collateral in the world. And we need to solve this crisis. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. And so the reason why, you know, I think, and I don't know what James thinks, is you think the Fed's going to raise interest rates three times next year? It's not going to happen. We're I don't think crack. it's not going to happen. And, okay, you're talking about tapering. Sure, let's say they cut tapering from 120. They can't taper. They, I mean, right. They, let's say that they reduce they reduce their, their purchases from 120 to 90. Okay. So you go from you reduce it by thirty billion dollars, but you're still putting ninety billion in every month. Right, and that is what they're telling you. The Federal Reserve has two balance sheets: the one that they show you, and the one they that they don't show you. The one that they don't show you, they can do whatever they want, and the one that they show you is completely misleading. That's why core CPI inflation is not accurate. You know, you have to go out in the world, and you know. This is just, you know, what the economists have given us. That's what their evaluation is. That's not that's not at all what it is on the ground level. You have to track prices yourself. You have to save your receipts and compare over time to see what the real rate of inflation is. Now, I don't think, you know, 6%, I think we're more at 8. I think we're going to be more at 10. I mean, you can, you know, if you're not in any cryptos right now and you and you don't want to own cash and you don't want to own any other assets, you can buy stable coins and stake it on Celsius or Nexo and earn 8 to 10% yield on that. Right. And right there, you're beating the, you know, you're matching, excuse me, <laughs> you're matching the stock market right there. And, you know, that's just, you know, a huge indication of all of the buffoonery that's going on at, at the Fed and in Congress, you know, the people that are in charge doing this, I mean, they don't really have another choice. I mean, the other choice is, let's say they do raise rates and let's say, you know, the economy is, the economy, quote unquote, has picked up faster than they anticipated. And, you know, to fight this increasing inflation, they need to raise rates. You know, if they raise rates more than the market's anticipating, they're more, they're more, um, they're more hawkish than people are anticipating, you know, Equities are just going to tank. And we saw that in the, at the end of 2018, was it? Yeah, it was 2018. Quantitative tightening. The market didn't like that. And we took a 16% correction in the last quarter. And, you know, they, they have very little leeway in what they can do. So they have to keep doing what they're doing or else, you know, we're going to see pan- panic in the streets. And it's going to be bad if they do something like that. As James said, I mean, going back to 2018, what happened, and you know, he's right, we were quantitative tightening. We raised interest rates from zero, brought up to two and a half. We stopped buying assets, and we actually were reducing our balance sheet. So, you know, all the treasuries, MBS, and I mean, I don't want to say it, but for lack of better words, just complete junk that the Fed is buying. Um, 
they're selling all those off and at the same time they're hiking interest rates. And I think honestly, one of the things that kept this rally going was the Trump tax cuts. That, that that did help corporations out quite a bit. Oh yeah, totally. And if he didn't do that, because you know, if you saw, if you watched the market back in 2015, 2015 to 2016, like the market, the Fed did one rate hike and we gave back like, I think like 10% plus. But anyway, going on to my main point, it's like we did QT until we couldn't. And Powell said, you know what? Screw this. I'm not going to hike rates anymore because I, I was hiking them and growth was slowing down because we hiked rates so fast. So in May of 2019, we did an interest rate cut. August, we did an interest rate cut. And then by September of 2019, the repo market completely broke. And then so repo rates is interbank lending. So it's like James Bank A, I'm Bank B. I want to lend to you. But interest rates skyrocketed because there was like credit risk. We were selling junk to each other. And so that's why you saw repo rates skyrocket overnight. And then Jay Powell, big daddy over here, implemented quanti- uh, sorry, not what he called not QE. And so they were print they established a repo facility and they were going out and they were bought, giving them the banks cash in exchange for treasury bonds to ease repo markets. And it looks like I'm reading this thing here. It says we can only record for 30 minutes. So I'm gonna stop the podcast and James and I are gonna keep going here in a second. But uh, we're just going to talk about next pretty much just what we're seeing in the markets over the next couple of weeks, inverted yield curve. And then, I mean, we've hit on a lot, but James is a crypto expert here. You guys know I love crypto, so we're going to hit on that. But uh, yeah, we're going to do this right now. All right, you guys, we're back here. You know, we're recording this on the laptop for the first time. Apparently, you can only record 30-minute se- uh, sessions, and you guys know how I like to rant for a while. So 30, 30 minutes ain't long enough for me and James. we got a lot to talk about. I mean, but, we're uh, hitting we're hitting some important points here. This is good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So this is what I want, was trying to get at earlier. With so if inflation is super high, why are yields going down? And my, I have this thesis here. And I want to hear what James has to say about it. And it's so we know that the Bank of England hiked rates fifteen basis points, which is nothing. And we know the Fed is slowly tapering their well, tapering their asset purchases. I shouldn't say their balance sheet, but the reason why I think the, the rates are going lower. And why they usually go lower when the Fed starts to taper or sell their asset purchases and raise rates is because the bond market, you know, people say the smartest guys in the room, right? It's because they're pricing in like, look, if you hike interest rates X amount of points or percentage terms, or if you taper your balance sheet by half, so if going from 120 billion a month into the banking system to 60 billion, and you're not easing credit conditions and providing money to these banks, then growth is going to slow massively because we're a credit-based system. Right. And so that's why I think rates are going to head lower. And people say interest rates going lower is good for tech and good for the market. But I, I, I tend to I tend to think if you see a sharp fall in rates due to like a massive economic freak, freak out, you know, you see uh, the stock market contract, you see crude oil contract, you see commodities contract. So that's my what I'm thinking right now, just looking at the yield curve. Of course, I made this announcement, you know, and said this on the podcast like last week, but, you know, since the 13th, past 10 days, we've seen rates rise about 10 basis points on the 30-year, six points on the 20-year, you know, about six on the 10-year. So de- decent moves there. So I've been wrong for now, but, you know, we're, you know, we're looking out long-term here. So I just want to know what James has to say about that. So <clears throat> the deal with bonds works like this. Yields go down, prices go up, prices go up, yields go down. So... If we're seeing yields dropping, that means we're seeing cash moving into the debt market. Now, if that happens too fast, 
if we see if, if we see yields rising too fast, that means everybody is selling their bonds and they want cash. Same is true for the opposite. If we see um, yields falling too much, that means bonds are getting bid up. And most of the time in the past, this was from individual investors, um, pension funds, everybody but the Fed. Nowadays, it's different. We have yield curve control that came into play this year. And we're seeing these rates that are super, super low, near zero rates on the short end and you know under 2% on the long end. They want to keep this as low as they can for as long as they can so that they can keep this easy money flowing into the economy without creating too much risk. Now, what I don't understand is, you know, it's, it's why it's what you don't understand. Like, why aren't they going up? No, I don't know. I think it's because the amount of yield curve control that they're doing, it's to the tune where they're creating this environment where they want to keep equities pumping. And this is why I think we're not going to see significant asset purchasing taper going into the year. I think they're lying to us. This is all speculation. Take it with a grain of salt. I think they're lying to us. I think that even if they say that they're going to do asset tapering uh, reduction, um, that they're just going to keep doing it on their, you know, on, on their end. I, I think, you know, we see Jerome Powell come out every time there's a Fed meeting. You have to dissect his words very carefully because he doesn't speak in a very, um, he speaks in a very boring tone. There's not much that he said in, in his, um, in his demeanor, but you have to take apart what he says very carefully. He uses these buzzwords that make it seem like they're going to do something, but really it's just smoke and mirror and they're going to keep doing what they're doing. They just want to quell fears in the moment. And, you know, this last Fed meeting, you know, we got, it was a rally after it, and then we got the sell off and now we're bottoming out here a bit and we got, you know, E-mini S&Ps up 100 points since yesterday. You know, we we touched as low as 45.20 on the E-mini S&Ps. And now we're above, you know, we're at like 46.30. You know, I definitely think that we're going to see SPY 5K in 2022. There's no way that they're going to let rate, rates rise. And if they do, they're going to do it gradually. Because even if rates, you know, let's say on the 10-year, let's say we go up like 30 bips, to uh, what are we at right now? Well, it'd be like, one seven eight, yeah. which is the the high we made in February. Right. Let's say we go up, maybe even a little bit beyond that. Let's say we even creep up to two percent. Okay. These are still extremely low interest rates, and real rates are negative. So if you take inflation rate and subtract it from, you know, the uh, ten year yeah, right current current rates right. So you know we're we're negative right. If you buy a ten year government bond hold it for ten years, you're losing five percent a year. And, and increasing, I would right. say. And increasing. That's speculation, obviously. So, you know, nobody would do that unless you're a bank or a massive fund and you just need, you know, short term, you know, right. So this is just going to keep going. It's going to be the same story. And at the same time, it pays to use credit because let's say you're, you know, you're a consumer and you have a lot of credit card debt. Let's say you have $50,000 in credit card debt, you know, you screwed up this, that, you know, you have to make payments on it. You know, one way to get rid of that debt is to pay it down. The other way is, you know, that debt is leveraged over time. That debt, it, it becomes less and less of a burden on you because inflation is ticking up higher. That $50,000 this year, you know, take off 6%. 
that's three thousand dollars of purchasing power next year that you you know you don't have to pay. So it's almost like you're paying forty-seven thousand dollars, and then you know each year it gets it ticks down again. So then you got like twenty-seven hundred next year. So it kind of pays to use credit, and that's why we see you know housing prices skyrocketing, and we're nowhere near um, two thousand eight levels. We're getting there, but you know we're nowhere near it. I think we're going to see a hyper bubble in real estate, hyper bubble in equities, crypto. You know, we're going to see Bitcoin 100K before we know it. Um, I think with Bitcoin specifically, we're going to get some you know swing highs, swing lows, but we're going to see a grind higher with Bitcoin as the institutional money flows in. And the same for all the other cryptos, grind higher. Volatility is not going to be where it was a couple of years ago, but that's my whole take on it. That's interesting because I, I actually think you would see 10 years in the 30 year go lower before we go higher. I mean, I see. Well, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in a more general more term. General term. Okay. Not, not really on a, a short term basis. See, on a short term basis, I mean, I see that people are pricing in, well, it, they, the whole market believes that the Fed is going to hike next, next year three times. They believe that the Fed is going to taper their balance sheet. And so because of this, you'll see rates go, I think the 10 year could go as low as 1%. You see, <sighs> The 30 year go to at least like 1.3, 1.5-ish. That's like a 20 years, a 20 bit spread. But like still it's a pretty significant drop from the 1.9 level we're at right now. And it's gonna be because people are freaking out that the Fed, if they do this action, which they say they're gonna do, which they're not, because if you listen to the Fed, you're gonna go broke because they don't honor their word or anything, which I would do if I was a central banker. I mean, right. let's, let's get real here. Yeah. But uh because of that, rates will go lower and they're going to have to say, you know, we're not going to hike rates. We're not going to taper free money for everyone. And then that will actually cause interest rates to go where James is saying 2%. And I mean, I, I do agree with James's longer term, um, you know, five year road right. roadmap of at least 5% rates because interest rates eventually are going to revert to the mean. I mean, we're at uh, 2000 year lows on interest rates. I mean, this is not normal, which means that we're at 2000 year highs in the prices. Exactly. And, and, that, and that's why, I mean, you see hyper bubbles everywhere and that's why bubbles are going to continue. And that's why James is right on this call for 5k SPY. I mean, that is why I'm such a crypto bull and that's why I'm accumulating my uh, gold and silver. But I just wanted to, you know, ask James what he thinks, because I mean, I think, you know, the bond market is one of the most interesting places to be looking. That's where the real money is, right? That's where the action is, but it's so distorted that um, it really shows you that there's so much trouble in the economy. That's what I'm trying to get at here. So yeah. let's switch gears here and talk about some crypto. Oh, crypto. So this is the great hedge against everything that we're seeing here in the bond market. So James, what is, well, let's see, what is, what is the, the primo crypto? What is the equivalent to a treasury bill in the crypto market? What, what, so what's the stable one you're asking? What's the most stable? Like, like, like I mean, you know how like a treasury bill is pers like versus there you got oh, treasury okay. bills, you got treasury notes. Treasury bills are less than two years. Then you got two to 10 years and that's a note. Oh, and okay. anything longer than that is a bond. Okay. And treasuries are like, you know, risk-free oh, in the right. equity market. So what is like the safest crypto? Why? What, like, what do you, just give us a whole like outlook of what you think about the crypto markets. Okay. So safe and crypto generally don't go together. There's going to be risk. There's going to be volatility. It's not for the faint of hearts. Back before Bitcoin hit 20,000 during the last bull run, you know, we saw these, we saw the ICO craze of 2016, 2017, you know, massive thousand, multi thousand percent gains, 
massive double digit losses. This isn't for the faint of heart. But if you're going the route of conservative, you know, safe, you know, you got to go with Bitcoin. You know, if you want to make consistent returns, Bitcoin has performed 230% compounded annual growth rate for the past decade. So that is 23 times what the market does on average for the past 100 whatever years, you know, 1,000 whatever years, 100, whatever, 100. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, I just want to say for the record here, James tried to get me into crypto, no, Bitcoin in 2016, and I called him an idiot. I said, nah, bro, I listen to Warren Buffett. Like, I don't believe in that bull crap. Even, yeah. but, you know, I mean, I would have been uh, significantly more well off if you were I believing in the, You were believing in the bear crap, not the bull crap. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But so the whole thing is, is, I mean, you got to understand that if you look at the sock to flow model, if you understand how you know Bitcoin works with the halving cycle and all these other technical factors, that I mean, I think it would take you could do a whole other podcast on that. Right. But if you understand how that works in supply and demand, you know, you understand basic economics. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin, it, it, this is just the start. Right. It, like we are like as much as you may think like oh everyone owns Bitcoin now, you know institutions are just getting into the mm-hmm. getting into the mix. Like mm-hmm. we are at. Uh, you know, just the beginning of Bitcoin and all of cryptos. So James, why don't you take it from there? So yeah, as I said, 230% compounded annual growth rate for the past decade. Even if Bitcoin does a 10th of that, which is very conservative, analysts are expecting Bitcoin to perform 27 to 35% over the next 10 years. So on a conservative end, let's say 20%, not 23, let's say 20%, very conservative. You're still doubling what the stock markets do on average. Exactly. And you're beating inflation by 10%. You know, if we're saying, let's say, you know, inflation is a lot more dire than it seems. And, you know, they're not reporting the right numbers because they're not. And you can see that everywhere. So you're doubling inflation and um, you're doubling the stock market. And, you know, obviously with inflation higher, the stock market, you know, we had 25% on the SPY this past year. You know, let's say it matches the stock market. I don't think it will because, you know, the stock markets are mean reverting 10% as an average. Um, so the safest one, Bitcoin. Second safest one, Ethereum. I try to stay cautious with Ethereum because my third is my my favorite crypto, Cardano. I got to call it out there. Everybody loves Cardano. Everybody hates Cardano. But at the end of the day... They are trying to create a functioning product, unlike Ethereum, which was, you know, break into the market and fix it later. And, you know, we see the problems with it. Gas prices are insane. You know, we got we got NFTs and, you know, you buy like uh, an NFT for a million dollars. I don't know anybody that's done that, but let's say you do that, you know. You got to pay what? Like, is it a 5% fee on OpenSea or something like that? I forget. I don't even mess around with Ethereum NFTs, but I have a couple Cardano NFTs. And let me tell you, only paying 0.17 Cardano per for every transaction. And, you know, Cardano is at a buck 20. So you're paying 20 cents per transaction. You know, I don't know if it's deviated from that. Every time I've made a Cardano transaction, I've always paid 0.17 ADA. And getting the staking rewards and ETH 2.0 has been delayed for years. You know, I just don't see how there's a better crypto. I'm not a Cardano maximalist by any reason. Full disclaimer, I own three cryptos right now. I own Cardano, Stellar, and Monero. And, and for, I guess, disclaimer, good point, James. Uh, we, we are, we're not selling any assets. No, no financial advice here. No financial advice. We just love the markets. Love the markets. 
do your own research. And I, I, we just had to throw that in. There, yeah, right? right. So Cardano is my favorite crypto. Um, we're at a dollar twenty-eight right now. Forty-three point eight billion market cap. I definitely think we'll see a ten x from here. I'm not sure when. Five years seems like a pretty plausible timeline. Twelve dollars eighty cents Cardano in five years. I'll be a happy camper. What about you? I mean, I think I think James makes some like very good points with crypto, and you guys have heard me rant about like, rant about crypto. But I mean, I just want to like take it back from like you know a bigger macro standpoint here. You know, Bitcoin and every single crypto, it, you can think of it like a currency pair it, to some extent. Right. It's BTC versus USD, and you right. can train the BTC Ethereum pair, BTC Cardano pair, wherever you want. But what all these cryptos are showing you is. Their crypto, the dollar is in a hyperinflationary collapse against cryptocurrency. So while we may not see the Dixie down year over year, and we may not see the Dixie in other currencies, well, other currencies are down because the dollar's up, but it's showing you that the dollar is losing its strength. And you know, you can see that in your own purchasing power, your own dollars that they're buying at the store. But this is a way out of it. This is like a, a, a safe, you know, it's no, I don't want to say safe like James is saying, but, um, yeah, yeah, uh, but this is this is a good way to get out of it. And you know, James talking about your favorite cryptos, Bitcoin obviously is you know digital gold. I hate to say that because I, I love gold. Right. I mean, if you wanted to give it an analogy for crypto, Bitcoin is. Then I also am a big fan of internet computer. I think internet computer is fascinating, and people hate it. Uh, and and because people hate it is why I want to scoop up as much as I can. And you know, the whole reason why is the ICO price was like four hundred fifty dollars. Went from four fifty to seven hundred. In like a day it was top 10 crypto market cap right now you're trading it you know uh 22 23 like in any world that is a that, that's what is that more than 90 percent. that's like 95 percent. oh yeah i mean it's completely yeah. terrible but like the whole 95 percent correction any any anywhere like i don't know too much about icp i'll go do my research on it but from from a purely price standpoint you know and shit yeah yeah, but you know, scooping up here at four point three billion market cap, you know, we get back up to like you know Cardano's market cap. I, I don't know if it's you know that good of a crypto. I haven't done my research, but you do your research, right, there, buddy? Yeah, <laughs> but purely from a price standpoint, I'll scoop up some internet computer here. I mean, what they're trying to do is, I mean, we all know what the internet is. You know, we're using the internet to record this podcast, and so the internet is uh, is public. But if I want to go use some like website on the internet, then I got to go to Facebook. I got to go to Google or I got to go to, uh, I was going to say Instagram, but that's, that's Facebook or like, you know, Snapchat. And so that's using the internet, but then I got to go to them, a private company on the internet because it's, uh, you know, not on a blockchain. And so then they have access to all my data, all my information, everything I want to do. Mm. And so what the ICP token does is the internet computer is a decentralized internet. It's an internet on a blockchain. And you have these decentralized, uh, I guess you could call them dApps, but they're really, these, yeah, I guess it's a dap in a way, but they have de- decentralized email, decentralized Reddit, decentralized LinkedIn, decentralized platforms. They have their own NFTs. They have their own, um, they're actually integrating Bitcoin into ICP. So you could use Bitcoin to make I- transactions on the internet computer network, which I think is pretty freaking fascinating. But the whole thing is, is if you want to use ICP tokens and run a protocol, then you have to burn if you, so the more people that use your protocol on the ICP, you burn the token. So as mm. more people come there, the supply will dwindle, mm. thus setting price up. And so that's why you've seen the price go down so much. Because if you want to like run an, a node on the ICP, 
you need these tokens. So therefore the supply of tokens increases, setting uh, the price lower. As you get more users, you got to burn more ICP to get create more bandwidth on the internet computer, thus setting price higher. So it's all about adoption as a lot of these cryptocurrencies are. But I mean, they got some of the, you know, the biggest uh, crypto, crypto backers out there. I mean, they got uh, Polychain Capital, Blockchain Capital, AZ10, uh, 16. But yeah, you know, that's uh, for a whole nother day. This is not a crypto podcast. Yeah, guys, it was a pleasure being on the podcast. I am more than happy to have been here for you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Max, you were an awesome host. And I'm we're going to do this again. again. We're going to yes. do this again because there's too much to say. Yeah. And I, yeah, have a good one, guys. Thanks have a good one. In.